Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Bless you. you can have a seat. Get those Bibles cracked open to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew 5 and verse 10. Hold your place there. We're going to dive into a passage there in just a few minutes. I love movies. I do. I, I'm not a huge, like a massive movie fan that goes to see every movie, but I have my select few that I really like. I like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Very beginning, the first time I saw that, I was really intrigued by the opening lines from the very first episode. And these words were spoken. It says, the world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. Now, if you aren't aware, the Lord of the Rings trilogy has everything to do with biblical issues and the state of society, but uh, there may be no better words than to capture what is really happening in our world today and the things that a follower of Jesus faces today. My message today is entitled, How to Be a Christian in Our Polarized Culture, and this is part of a series of messages that I'm doing regarding how to function in Christianity in this new era. See, the, the world we live in, it's changed. And uh, it's just not the way it used to be. And I'm especially reminded of this because since my father passed away about a year ago, I, I enjoy taking his old sermons and I read them. Uh, they, there are so many of them, <laughs> so many of them. He pastored for uh, over 50 years and a lot of sermons to plow through. And I was looking at it, I thought, man, it's going to take years to get through all these, but I still love reading his sermons. And, and uh, some of those sermons are 50, 60 years old, but my dad would preach quite a bit back then about the ills of society and, uh, and how Jesus was coming soon. And he talked about, quite often in these sermons, he talked about uh, how society was moving away from God. And, and, and my dad would warn about things that would happen in our nation if we continue to move this way. And as I was reading through those things, I thought, that's minuscule today. Like, that stuff has already happened years ago, and that isn't even on our radar anymore. We've forgotten. That's what was then. And America, truth be told, it looks nothing like it did when my dad pastored in the 1960s. It's a little headline from... Friday that I saw pop up on the media, and I just want you to look at it. I don't have to even explain very much here. I want you to just soak it in, read it, look at it, soak it in. Yeah, that, that's the same person, in case you're not realizing it. Now, how could this happen and America be accepting of it? You see, there has been, like my dad always said, a slow, steady slide. And the truth is, it still seems like there's no end in sight. 
uh, I've looked at some numbers and I've researched and, and uh, less Americans attend church now than they ever have before. In fact, <laughs> I found a very interesting statistic. There are 50% less churches, less churches in America, 50% than there were 100 years ago, yet the population has increased threefold. Now, I, I, I want you to hear my heart. You guys know me. You know me. I, I don't want today's message to come across uh, reactive or brash. My heart is, is that, that today we simply think intelligently. I want you to use your intellect. I want you to discern the times. We're going to look into the word. Why? So that we can create positive action. That's ultimately our goal. Want to create that positive action. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out some cultural challenges. And some of the things that I'm going to share, I'll just be honest with you, it will strike very close to your own heart. But I'm pointing these things out, again, not to, not to point at anyone, but to help us to understand that we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to see a, a clear picture of our culture. And we need to be able to, to compare that and contrast that to the Word of God. So I want us to dive in. There are five simple shifts that I believe have taken place, and it, it, it has begun to dominate how people think and how people live in our American culture. And here's the first cultural shift. This is the, and I, I really call these cultural challenges. And this first one is this. Individual freedom and happiness is greater than, you know, remember the greater than sign? That's it. Individual freedom and happiness is greater than theology and philosophy, and it hasn't always been that way. See, theology and philosophy used to be the main filter through which people really just explored their identity and determined who they were. But it's not like that anymore. A lot of people, they're, they're continuing to search for identity and purpose like never before. It is a major industry, even in our world, of people searching for identity, searching for purpose. Who am I? See, the highest, uh, it's like the highest priority for our current culture seems to be individualism. It really doesn't seem to be that. It, it actually is. It's this uh, looking for autonomous identity and personal fulfillment. The challenge with that is what it does is it isolates and it builds walls and it creates identity crises. Really, everything right now revolves around what I feel and what I think and what I feel and what I think has become my reality. And really it was not long ago, only a few decades ago, that the Bible actually set the standard for ethics in our nation. How people behaved and, and what they actually valued. But it, and it was not about experiences or desires or preferences or feelings, but things have changed. And I want you to take marriage for example. A good example of this is a married person might say, well, I am what I feel. And my marriage is what I feel. And I felt like I had great feelings for this person 10 years ago, but I don't have those feelings anymore, therefore I must separate and end this marriage. And, and logic like this, logic like this, what it has done is it's, it's caused the divorce rate to literally, and I'm, I'm, I, these statistics are correct, they have grown Five times what they were 50 years ago when my dad started preaching. Fractured families, messed up kids, wounded adults. Because it's all about what we feel 
which is driving the agenda today. Now, even when it comes to religion, uh, people are saying, well, I believe in God, but I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to let church and an old-fashioned Bible tell me what to, what to believe or what to do. Therefore, self is now exalted above God. I hear this. You've heard these things before. You can't tell me what to do with my body, but I can tell you what to do with the environment. Or how about this? You can't tell me not to sleep around, but I can tell you, you better not go to SeaWorld. People don't want morality thrown at them. That's what they say. Oh, come on, you can laugh about it, but that's what I've been told. You guys have never been told that? Okay, sorry, then you don't talk to the same people I do. How dare you go to SeaWorld? But don't you talk to me about what I'm doing in my private life. You see, what's happened is everyone seems to become a moralist, but they don't want morality thrown at them. But it's all through social media more than anything now. And if you say anything or post most, pretty much anything and you have friends in social media that are not of the same belief category as you, you will be attacked. You will be lashed out upon. And, and, and there's so much of this virtue signaling that means nothing. A good example. This is real. Not looking at any of your social media, so I'm not picking on you guys, so. But there's been this big uproar of we need to post the colors of Ukraine on social media to show that we care. And I doubt 99.999% of those people have never been to Ukraine, <laughs> nor do they know anything about Ukraine. And they're certainly not giving to help with the refugee crisis. That's called virtue signaling. That's pushing an agenda that does nothing. It's a scary place for us, guys. It's a different world. As believers, we have to see this and address this and actually speak into it. Speak into it. Here's the second cultural challenge. Now, I'm not saying all this stuff to discourage you. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, but I want us to see what's really happening. We need to be honest about it in church. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here's the second one. And you guys may not like all these, but it's not... I'm not here to make you like things, all right? Number two is this, the deconstruction and the destruction of social ties and traditions. You know, to, to the general American, uh, religion is now outdated and it's useless. And a lot of people now have decided they can create their own religion. They can put their own stuff together. So what's happening is people are now moving away from institutions like, you know, like the church, but also other institutions as well, because there's this indoctrination of Marxist philosophy that's come into our culture which says all authority structures are bad, therefore we need to move against that and just create your own religion, so to speak. See, the gospel, please understand this, the gospel is not only that Jesus Christ is our Savior, but he is also your Lord. Being your Lord means that Christianity is about obedience. See, God not only gets to shape what you believe, but he gets to shape your life, your money, your personal life, and how you yeah, treat people. That's what the gospel does. Jesus says this. He says, I bought you with a price. You are not your own. Do you realize in the New Testament, the word disciple is used 269 times, yet the word Christian is only used three times? 
Think about that. Disciple is really the paradigm of Christianity. What that means is that we are a follower of Jesus. It literally means we follow in the footsteps of him. We do what he did. We act like he acted. In fact, in the most literal sense, disciple means, if you go to the the, the root of this word, what it means, you can never change what something uh, meant. It still means the same things. It literally means the dust from his sandals gets all over you because you're walking behind. That's what it means. You're a follower of Jesus so Christianity just isn't about victory. I love the victory. Don't you guys love the victory in Christianity? Yeah, but it's also about obedience. And in order for you and me to speak into this, we have to, I believe, embrace our own brokenness. It's time we as Christians stop trying to hide the mistakes that you've made or even the mistakes that you're making <laughs> because you're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And I believe this is that humility, humility will draw people to Jesus in this new era. It is so important for us because their big thing in the culture is, well, Christianity is full of hypocrisy. Christians act like they're perfect. But, and then they always, always just want to give you a bunch of rules to follow, but they don't follow them themselves. And the church is full of hypocrisy. But a little line I found in my dad's sermon notes, he said this. He said, but I would rather go to church with some hypocrites than go to hell with all of them. That is what my dad said. The truth is, I think we need to adopt this philosophy of life when mirroring Jesus. We just need to simply say, we're all beggars looking for bread. And we want to help one another to get it. We are so totally dependent upon the grace of God, and he is the only way I can even wake up each morning and move forward. Here's the third cultural challenge. The third challenge that we are facing right now is the belief that progress, technology, and education is somehow going to bring this utopia. There is this philosophy that that we need to be moving on from the foolish idea of God and religion. Just get away from it because now we're smarter and we have the ability to solve our own problems as a culture. And all we need is more progress, more technology, and more education, more scientific discovery, and we're going to get there. And people are saying, we are there. But what we seem to forget is that science and technology and progress has escalated over the past 120 years like never before in the history of mankind. It has exploded on the scene. Yet at the same time in the 20th century, over 100 million people were killed in wars. Not only that, over 120 million were murdered uh, due to various forms of Marxism and communism and national socialism. We've entered into this century now, this 21st century, now that we're full-blown into it, people have come to a conclusion, and I see it as a terrifying conclusion. The conclusion is this, is there is really no such thing as evil. Evil is only relative. It's only up to you. Evil is whatever you want it to be. Therefore, evil doesn't exist, and that is a thing. See, there's this ideology that secular progress is the way to enlightenment, And uh, the problem is that whole concept hasn't worked, and yet it still continues to be propagated. It's this, is that, hey, we're smart, and we're wealthy. But the truth is, it's had 
somehow a negative adverse effect upon us right in the midst of it because the culture has now rejected the God who gives us progress, the God who gives us technology, the God who gives us education. And so church, we need to actively challenge this philosophy by simply using logic. I was with the Cultural Streets Education Group the other day and and I said, you know, do you real do you know where public education first started? And most people don't, but it started right here in this land. Before we were the United States of America, back in the early, 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 early days of the colonists. And there was no public education prior to that. It started here. It started with the first law that was ever passed on, the, on this American soil. You know what it was called? The Old Deluder Satan Act. The old, some of you may remember that from school if you ever t- were taught that. That was the foundation of public education. It said this, every community that has 50 or more people must appoint a person that is funded by that, that local community to educate young people so that they can read and they will read the Bible and they're going to start reading the Bible. They're going to start learning the Bible and when they receive this public education, they will grow in their intellect and therefore they won't be deceived by Satan's tactics. How far have we strayed from that, that is America's founding law, public education. In fact, public education didn't even exist up until that point. Here's cultural challenge number four. My ethics, excuse me, my truth, my truth is greater than ethics. My truth, my truth. And I, I would say, for example, one of the most important shifts that has taken place in our culture regarding this would be the very sensitive issue that's happening today regarding uh, gender. And I know this is a very, very complex issue. I I address things such as this through my team at 12 on Wednesdays, and we talk about things from a biblical perspective. But one of the ways to help you to understand this is now the, the culture is saying there are two things that are out there. There's sex and gender, and, uh, and, and these are different. Basically saying that sex is biological, and gender is how you just choose to express yourself. It's just who you feel you are. Now, in order for us to reach uh, a post-Christian culture, and that really is where America is right now, we have to be able to graciously and intelligently enter the conversation. We have to, instead of just yelling about it. See, basically, how people think morally about things, it has everything to do with their personal subjective conclusions, and they believe that that is more valid than science, facts, and universal valid truth. That's where we are today. See, what matters today is, well, I just need to have my truth. Whatever my truth is, is the truth. And this type of thinking has even uh, separated the body from the person itself. Now people are asking, well, what exactly is a person? We see that in the abortion debate. But, of course, it's, it's escalated much further than that. It's, uh, it's now escalated to the point where people are beginning to identify as objects and creatures and animals rather than human beings made in the very image of God. In fact, I heard this this past week. Now there are some public schools that are beginning to put litter boxes in their in their children's bathrooms, in, in the schools, because some children identify as animals. It's the culture that we're in. It's the culture that we in. We have to speak intelligently into this. We have to really work hard in understanding these issues to reach this culture, which just says, well, it's my truth. But my truth cannot supersede the truth and the time-tested ethics that are found in the Word of God. 
Church, we've got to be able to speak into this with a biblical worldview so that, the, so that we can reach our culture in a creative, because it will take creativity, it does take creativity, and a winsome approach. Here's the fifth cultural challenge that I'm seeing today. It is saying no to God's authority, and that should say God's authority, no to God's authority, and yes to my fulfillment. See, culture now aligns with this, with, I guess you could say, a gospel of life advancement and, and life enhancement. It's all about how to build a better you. I've got to build a better me. You guys know that. You see it everywhere in the culture. It's interesting now because even for the very first time in the history of the church since it began over 2,000 years ago among Christians, this concept is now being, uh, being used as an opportunity where people select their churches by based upon what it's going to do for me. That's, a, that's what we call consumer Christianity. And, and it looks good, and it's nice, but it means churches have to come up with some slick marketing, a whole lot of programs, and it deviates from the gospel. And me as an individual, I've always... I've always wanted to reject the notion that U.S. culture is becoming uh, more and more of a secular society that rejects God. I, I've, I've really wanted to resist that, but I've come to a realization that the truth is we've actually moved far beyond that. We are now becoming a pagan society filled with idols and false gods. And if you doubt that, I dare you to go onto your social media and say something about paganism and watch how you will be attacked like never before. I would know. See, these are different things. I would know. I was just making a little statement. All of a sudden, every pagan in town attacks me, which was half the city. And I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, okay, so if you guys don't want to come to my Facebook and look at how many blocks I had to do over a two-day period, come join me in my office after work. All right. See, these are, you guys act like I don't know. Are, do you realize that that's real? That's real. Okay, all right, good. That's real. See, these are very different. Sundance Square, as an organization, has blocked me. Because I dare to say there's some paganism that's happening on their Christmas tree. You don't even realize that because I don't get out here and throw it in front of you all the time. I don't vomit it out, but they don't want to hear from me. They don't want, they don't want me to see anything that they're doing. That's true. That's, that's just truth. I, I'm not out there being mean to people. I'm just saying, hey, guys, there's some paganism out there. Be careful. And we want to talk about people roaring back at you. But that's just, that's a life in Tim Woody's, that's, that's a day in Tim Woody's life. Okay, that's, that's just my life. But that's, that's fine. It, it really doesn't bother me. But you have to understand that a pagan society and a, and a secular society are two very different things. And, uh, and, Really, we have to realize now that we're not really trying to speak into a secular society that doesn't believe in God because people do believe in God however they make it. What we're really speaking into is a pagan society that does believe in God, gods, or, or whatever. Gods, and these gods have a lot of different, different forms, but really, you get down to it, these are gods, these are idols of money, uh, power, possessions, positions, family, comfort, beauty. These have now captured the hearts and the minds of the culture above the glory of God. See, these are things that are causing people to say, I want to trust in those things for my salvation. That is what's going to bring me life. That's what's going to bring me salvation. Yet at the same time, these people, they're saying, what's going to get me up in the morning? What's going to motivate me to get out of bed? Well, what the culture is saying now, well, what's going to motivate you to get out of bed is your beauty. 
It's your family. It's your reputation. It's your career. It's your relationships. And we have to deconstruct these idols from people's hearts and replace them with Jesus. Now, let's talk about liberal and conservative for just a second because there are liberal idols such as money, sex, and power. There are also conservative idols such as family and comfort, and all of these are enemies of the soul. I know some of you just said, wait a minute, you can't say that family is an idol. Oh, yes, I can because I'm a pastor, (laughs) and I see it, I live it, I experience it, and I grieve over it. I grieve over it. Because sometimes the people who are closest to you will keep you from hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. My rough estimate is that approximately 50% of the couples that I have united in marriage through my authority as a member of the clergy, approximately 50% of the wedding ceremonies that I've performed over the past 10 years, those people have abandoned church altogether. They've abandoned church. And the thing is, when they were single, they seldom missed a service. They served and they gave and they were faithful. And the reason that I hear overwhelmingly is this, and it sounds so good, we just need more time together. We need family time. I'm going... You're sleeping together. What are you? Hello. But you see, it's become an idol. It's become an idol. It's become an idol. This is something that concerns me. And the truth is, is that comfort and family have definitely become idols. And if you don't believe me about family being idolatry, take a look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 60. Do your own studies on that on your own, because that's not what this sermon's about. But I'm just saying we we need to challenge idols in our culture. And our culture is not getting better. Why? It's because here's what I see constantly, constantly. Yes, within the church to, to some degree, but I'm saying within the culture in a huge way. And if, you, if you're out there, which I know you are, you, you see this as well. Anxiety, depression, loneliness, bullying, addictions, suicide, self-hate, obe- obesity, all of that is on the rise. And at the same time, life expectancy in this nation is now on a decline. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is Jesus. It is the Spirit of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is people are waking up and they have no idea how they're going to face the day. They don't know how they're going to do. But this is actually what the gospel answers. That's what it gives to us. And we have to, but, but, but we have to be able to know it. And I want you to know it so that you can live it out so that the world can actually see it. Guys, we are the ones who can bring people hope. We are the ones who have the answers. We are the ones who will help people with their individual identity crises. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is this, is that that when everything falls apart, when everything that you trust in is gone, you can still wake up and have joy because he will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know whether it was in preparation for this message or not, and I didn't put that little part in until this morning because this morning, in the early morning hours, I was having nightmares that everything in my world had fallen apart. Everything was destroyed. It was a most bizarre nightmare. And I woke up, and as soon as I woke up, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt like I heard this. Tim, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I smiled, and I got myself out of bed. Time to get ready for church. You see... That is what the reality is. It's Jesus. So what did Jesus have to say about this? 
I'm glad you asked. Now get your Bibles ready, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. We're going to go through this quickly. Uh, first of all, it, when we get into this, this is one unit of thought here. And, uh, and I want us to read it with intelligence. Understanding, first and foremost, you will be uh, criticized. I mean, you will be persecuted. You will be blocked on social media. And there are going to be some mean people that are going to say some flat-out horrible stuff about you. And, and it will be in the context of the cultural challenges that I've just listed. But don't let it bug you. Don't let it bite you, all right? Come on, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil, they, they lie about you, you get that, against you because of me. That means because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, because you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Christ, you're a follower of Jesus. So he says, rejoice and be glad. So don't let it bug you. Be happy, be glad. Because why? Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the words that Jesus spoke here were not just for their, his original audience. They were for us today. Jesus also said this in Luke chapter 19, verse 13. He said, occupy until I come. Occupy until I come. Which means Jesus Christ will return in the clouds. But he's left us in charge of his business in the meantime. What does it mean to occupy? Occupy, is, I define it this. This is our working definition. It is to do business and grow the investment God gave you. Work until Jesus comes. And that's when you receive the award. reward. Now, we have an obligation to do this. We have an obligation to be present and active within the culture. We have an obligation to make Jesus known. It's who we are. But at the same time, I just want to challenge you on this again. Do not be afraid of persecution. Don't be afraid of what people are going to say about you or to you to bring you down, to mock you, to berate you, to minimize you. And no, it doesn't feel good, but God has never said that all of this is going to make you feel good. And, and understand this, is that persecution, if it's, if it's about Jesus, if, if it's about your faith, it's a, if it's about your righteousness, persecution is going to end in a massive, huge, great, eternal reward. Yeah, you're going to be rewarded. I already said this. You're going to be rewarded according to how you occupy until Jesus comes. But there is an additional reward for people who have, have been persecuted for it, who have been put down for it. And, and Jesus says, you know, you need to do this no matter what's happening. You're going to get a massive reward. And Jesus also said, if you're really going to do this, then you've got to be like salt in the culture. And, and, and that, that's so easy to look at. It's like, okay, we're going to be salt. Yeah, we put salt on our food. And I started to well, what is salt? I remember back in, in, uh, in I think it was eighth grade or ninth grade, I, we, we had this, this uh, science class where we learned all about the periodic tables and everything. And I learned that salt has two components. It has sodium and chloride, right? Sodium and chlorine. But that's, those, those are the two parts. So 
But listen to this. Sodium is, is an extremely active agent. What it does, how sodium functions, sodium looks for and attaches itself and binds itself to another element. And that's when sodium becomes powerful. And I thought, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit chooses a vessel who's looking to be used. And the Holy Spirit not only attaches but fills that individual and that person begins to be changed. And, and, and I, I think it's very interesting because then when you, in the case of salt, sodium attaches itself to chloride, chlorine, you know, chlorine what is that it's actually a poisonous gas it's what you smell like when you smell bleach yeah you're smelling that well cl- i thought well chlorine's kind of like people you know us by ourselves without god we are poisonous and we're offensive we're without hope and we're destined for an eternity in hell right but when sodium and chlorine are combined then you have Sodium chloride, you have that table salt, and that's the substance that brings out the flavor in your food. And we are called by Jesus to be a flavor into our culture. That's why we have to be present and active within the culture. You're called to do so, to make the culture somewhat palatable, guys. That's what you're called to do. Yet, on the other hand, you're not called to be salty in your expression of Jesus Christ, all right? There's an art to using salt, and, and, and it's just like there's an art to expressing your faith. You do use just enough, but not too much. Also, salt naturally preserves. It does. There's this cleansing nature to it. Uh, and you are actually called to prevent cultural decay and corruption. That's part of what you're called to do. And we must stand in the way of hell's destructive evil agendas. Truth be told, as a whole, Christians haven't been doing a very good job of this, and I have to think, why have we not, as a whole, done a really good job with this? Well, it's because nobody wants to be made fun of, nobody wants to be persecuted, everyone wants to be popular and, and look good, right? And that's, that's, that's kind of a want. We all have that. Therefore, we just kind of let the evil go, and we shake our heads and go, oh, that sure is terrible. And, it, and if you hear this message today, and you listen, hear all the things that I shared, and you go, boy, that sure is terrible, but you don't make any change, yeah, actually, you're part of the problem, okay? I didn't say this was going to be an easy sermon. Now, Jesus also said, you are like light, He's, which means you are to bring spiritual illumination to people. Jesus said this. He says, I am the light of the world. Did you know that? But he also said, you are the light of the world. Now, how can that be? How can he be the light of the world and we are the light of the world? Well, it's because his light, his spirit has come into us and it beams through us and his light is released into the culture around us and it's seen through a holy life. It's for purity of heart, a lifestyle of love and servanthood. And and that is to be seen and known everywhere through our expression of Christ. Let people see that you are a real Christian. Let people see that the dust of Jesus is all over you. See, when you walk into a room, the room should brighten up because you, the presence of God has just walked in. And that's not an ego thing. That's just reality. So here it is. Get ready to write quick. I'm going to give you four ways to be salt and light. Here, this is it. This is it real quick. We're wrapping up and we're going we're gonna to pray and you're going to be challenged on your way out, all right? Write these down very quickly. Very practical, very simple. And, and you can do these things if you draw a line between what the culture is shouting and you understand what the culture is shouting and you understand what the Word of God says. See, this is why it's so critical that we know the Word of God, we understand and we take it and we receive and we grow in the Word of God so that we can differentiate that from what the culture is saying. Critical, all right? Here it is, number one. 
read the Bible daily. You're like, oh, that's easy. Well, how many of you are doing it? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Just read the Bible every day. There's never been a time in the history of the world that reading the Bible is easier than it is today. You can literally wake up and push a button on your phone and the Bible will read itself to you in about five seconds. Church, now, now years ago, I remember people would complain to me, like some of my men's discipleship groups, like, I just don't like reading. You don't even have an excuse anymore. You don't. And not just read it, but just get to know it. It's spiritual food. It is. That's, that's, that's the number one source right there. Here's, here's number two. You need to pray and worship. Prayer and worship should be part of your life, but it needs to be expressed two ways. One is with other believers, which is like what tonight's going to be about. Tonight's going to be wonderful. I can't wait. But also you do it privately. You pray and you worship. And again, don't say you don't have time because you live right here in the day of W Metroplex. You get in your car, and if you're just going to drive in your car to the nearest gas station, you're going to be in that car for 15 minutes, and you know you will be. There's, there's like that 15-minute prayer and worship session right there. Come on. Don't say you don't have time. Y'all you, still love me after all this. And you know what happens when you get into those atmospheres of private prayer and even public prayer and worship? The Holy Spirit falls in. Holy Spirit fills us up. You know, read the book of Acts. What happened when God's people just got together and they started praying? All of a sudden, God was shaking the place, and these people became bold, and they became fearless, and they went out into the culture, and they stink and changed their world. See, when we pray and when we worship, that's where God begins to bring revelation. Here's another one. Know how to share your faith. One of the most simple things is just tell your story. Tell the story of what Jesus did for you. What Jesus did for you. That's pretty simple. In fact, there's a brand new connect group that's, that's just starting. It's called Tactics. You can look that on the, the City Life app. And that's just another example of a, of, a, of a group just to be a part of, to grow in the ways of, of sharing your faith. And I'm not going to be part of that group, but I'm going I'm to be sure and get the, get the study material because I, I want to grow in that. Here's another one. Network with others on your cultural stream. Network with others on your cultural stream. Now, I'm talking about other believers. These are people with similar interests and occupations and hobbies, etc. And when you network with them, you begin to feel like you begin to realize that you're not alone. It was so awesome here during this first quarter of the year as we had our introductory cultural streets groups. As we got together, people were looking around going, oh, wow, this is great. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in education. I'm not alone in business. I'm not alone in healthcare. I'm not alone in, in government. I, I, I actually have other people with me. And you can, those, those, having those brothers and sisters that you lean into, then that will help you to be salt and light in the community. And here's, here's another one. Here's the last one I have for you today. I, I really wanted to do about 30 of these, but I decided I'm going to settle for five. That's it. Because you don't want to hear me talk until 2, 2 p.m. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is actually the hardest. Those others are easier. Act like Jesus. Both in person and online, which is the new thing. In person and online. In person and online. Okay, so just, you need to start acting like Jesus both places. Both places. Because you're a disciple of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. His dust from his sandals is all over you. <laughs> You've been walking with Jesus, and you're going to be like him. 
Now, you might look at those five things and see those, but pastor, those are overly simplistic. Well, then those are foundational. We just need to do them. We just need to do them. This is how to be a Christian in our polarized society. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will bring revelation to us on how we are going to practically apply this to our lives and that we will make a difference in a winsome, beautiful, God-oriented, Holy Spirit-directed uh, manner that's going to bring honor and glory to you. God, we don't want our lives to count for nothing. We want to be agents of change within the culture. We want to be culture changers and not have the culture change us. And God, I, I ask that you will just let the voice of your Holy Spirit whisper, whisper to us when we have fallen prey to the, to the ideologies of the day that are counter to the Word of God. Help us to be so strong in the Word that when those things begin to happen, we, we look at it and say, no, that's, that's not God's way. That's not God's Word, and I'm not going to go there. And I'm going to make a difference over there. I'm going to help those people. And God, we also pray for the lost. God, I pray for the people who are <clears throat> in our culture struggling with loneliness, who've used these methods that are being touted to them, but they're, they find themselves alone, without hope, addicted, depressed, sick, and in spiritual prison. trying to find a reason to get up each day. God, I ask for you to put people in their pathways, put us in their pathway. So we can love them. So we can talk to them. So we can share our story. So we can give them Jesus. We want to be change agents in our culture in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org. 